Have you been sexually abused and want to know what healing looks like? Do you need a release from the inappropriate shame or freedom from feeling unworthy? In this three-part series, we will look at the stages of healing from sexual abuse, such as the trusting oneself stage, the anger stage, disclosures and confrontation stage, and the resolution and moving on stage. The importance of knowing the effects that sexual abuse has had on a survivor's life is a key step in the healing process. In order to heal deeply, a survivor must choose to heal and must be willing to go to those hard places. However you define healing, or whatever reason you find yourself here, we want you to feel supported and encouraged as you follow the path to healing and begin to regain control over your life. Hey guys, welcome back to Not Just a Hashtag. I am your host, Nicole Escobar, and I'm here with mental health counselor, Kristen Torres. Kristen, how are you? Good. Good, Nicole. So glad to see you. Glad to be here here online. Thank God for Zoom. <laughs> exactly. Um, you wanted to add your little disclaimer here. Yeah. So I, I uh, just a reminder as we, we kind of get into this that um, our podcast is not considered advice because we don't probably know you directly or your situation. So this doesn't take the place of advice from your doctor or your, or your therapist or anyone else that you're working with right now. So it's just for education and hopefully encouragement. And uh, we're just glad you're here and joined in with us. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you, Kristen. Um, I just want to remind everyone that this is a three-part series, which was originally a two-part, but as you see, we have so much here. And you know what? This could turn into a five-part series because as we get into it, it's just, there's so much here and we don't want you to just move on. We don't want you to just play these and think, okay, wow, this information's in my head. Like meditate on it, marinate in it, do whatever you need to do to understand it better and apply it towards your life. So on this episode, we are going to be looking at trusting oneself, anger, disclosures and confrontations, and a resolution to move on. So first, let's take a look at trusting oneself. So tragically, experiences of sexual abuse can make it difficult to trust yourself. If you were young when you were sexually abused, you may not have understood what was happening and you may have believed it was your fault. Children tend to blame themselves for any harmful things that adults, especially their parents, have done to them. Some children respond to sexual abuse by spacing out or disconnecting from what happened, similar to disassociating. The problem with this is when you cut yourself off from your body and your feelings, this can begin to happen automatically with intense experiences, even good ones, like doing fun things with friends or even having a sexual experience with your partner, one that's with love and good. This can leave you feeling disconnected from yourself or from reality, which then undermines your trust in your own experiences and your memories. It can affect your understanding of the past and what it means now, basically causing you to distrust yourself. But maybe you weren't sexually abused as a child and it happened with someone who pretended it was something you wanted. Or maybe when you were being sexually abused, they may have said or acted like it was something that was good for you. They undermined your ability to trust your own perceptions and instincts. So the question here is, how do we learn to trust ourselves? Well, if you're struggling with trust in these ways, you're not alone. I struggled with this. A lot of the survivors that come through our group say the same thing. 
So two major goals in healing is learning how to trust yourself. And one of the ways you can learn to trust yourself is by finding people who are worthy of trust. You have to figure out who can be trusted in your life. What roles does this person play in your life? What information can you trust them with? And under what kind of conditions? Something that can be very liberating, and it was for me, is avoiding extremes. Like telling others almost nothing about yourself or then saying too much. I always find myself to kind of go in the saying too much thing. And it was very liberating when I learned to put a boundary up, especially on my my mouth and had a little bit of a filter saying, you know what, this person doesn't deserve the right to hear that. Not in a mean way, but they haven't proven themselves to be safe to me. So they don't have to know why I'm running late. They don't have to know why I'm canceling an appointment or small things like that. So you can know if someone is safe by starting to disclose small little bits of yourself. And if they have proven to be trustworthy by keeping it confidential or not gossiping or not slandering or not saying things that are rude and disrespectful to you, they have proven to be trustworthy, but they have to prove themselves. So if you're in therapy, that is a safe place where you can go and tell about certain things that you're walking through, the different feelings that you have, the different fears that you have. One of the lessons I've learned is that, um, especially when I was seeing my counselor every two weeks, I said to myself, if this can't wait to be said to her, then I need to call my accountability partner and share it with her. I was sharing information with all these different people because I was working through a lot of different things at the time when I first started going to counseling. And I realized, wow, I'm not connecting with these people like I thought I was. Like they're kind of judging me. I'm noticing that I'm not like they're looking down on me for the information I'm sharing. So I challenged myself wait to tell your counselor. And if you can't tell your counselor, which should be your main person, then just have one accountability person that you can talk to. And that helped me. Um, and it, people started to notice I was pulling back. And I have one specific friend who questioned it and was like, hey, I noticed like you're not stopping by my desk anymore and sharing things with me anymore. And I said, yeah, don't take it personal. But it's really important that I keep this stuff that is like hurting my heart or I'm struggling with with my counselor. It's I'm lear- I'm trying to teach myself a boundary right now. And she was like, "No, no, that's awesome." And to be honest, that protected her and it protected my relationship with her and it that made us stronger. That yeah. bond, that boundary that I had. Yeah. So Kristen, can you tell us how can somebody learn to trust themselves better? Well, and I think I want to bounce off something you said too about the counselor part of it. Let's say you are seeing a therapist or you're going to see a therapist. Like something I think most of us will acknowledge is that um, it's also okay that you may not feel fully comfortable right off the bat telling us everything. You literally, you know, when you're starting with a therapist, you've literally just met us. So, and I'll point that out sometimes in our first session because I'm I'm usually doing like um the background, someone's background and like kind of evaluating everything. And so I'm asking a lot of questions, but I'll tell them like, listen, if you're not ready to answer anything that I ask you, it's okay. It is always your right to say yes or no, or, Hey, I'm not ready to go there yet. A lot of times when people start therapy there, they have been waiting so long. That's a lot of times how people come in. So they're ready to go and they want to get everything out possible. But at the same time, I really, um, something that's really important in all of this is honoring where you are at in the process. 
And so whether that's in the therapy room and you're not ready to talk about something yet, or you're never ready to talk about a particular thing, that's okay too. This is your story. You know, this is your life that we're talking about. And so um, again, taking your time on, on that and, and making sure that you're honoring how you're actually feeling. If, it, if you're really anxious, it's okay to say, I am so anxious like today, like starting this was, is really nerve wracking for me or really hard for me, or I felt so sick this morning. And again, for some people, they feel a combination of things like almost excited because they're getting started on a process and then, you know, nervous at the same time. That's normal too. So something you first mentioned about learning to trust yourself was learning to trust other people. And I think that is a good place to start too, you know, is to um, start to, um, again, honor where you're at in your process, but also be willing to practice um, kind of determining who's safe and not safe to be in your, your life. A lot of times I will, um, I will describe it almost like a tennis match, which I don't play tennis. My husband does, but, um, but just think of the back and forth, right? When you play tennis, you're not just hitting all the balls over and the other person is just standing there watching you because who's going to play that game? (laughs) That doesn't sound like a very fun game, right? So there is a back and forth, a back and forth. And that's very similar with relationships. You toss something over and you see what gets tossed back. Is it empathy? Is it kindness? Is it understanding? Is it someone being non-judgmental? Are they actually hitting a ball back to you? Or are they just standing there watching you hit balls over? (laughs) Then that's not really a relationship, is it? That's just one-sided. Now, that's different, of course, when we're talking about therapy. With therapy, you're you're not going to get much as far as personal information from the therapist. And that's because the therapy experience is for you as the client, not for the, not about the therapist. But do you see what I'm saying in a relationship? Like I want, like, I think tennis is such a good picture of a back and a forth. And that's, and as you do that back and forth, you start to learn more exactly what you're talking about, the character of the person. How are they actually responding to me? Are they responding? Are they sharing things too? So like, it's an equal back and forth. Cause if it's just all you sharing everything and that person's not sharing anything, who wouldn't be uncomfortable with that? Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, also, like, sometimes I think about situations like with a parent, Um, for instance, my mom, you know, she I I would share stuff. And then it was like a judgmental, critical response. And that would make me close up. And so I would feel like so it's hard to push yourself forward when you know, you have kind of like especially when family dynamic, you know, you have to sort of work through certain things and be the bigger person and try to, you know, continue to move the, the, the love forward or the, the relationship forward. But especially when it's met with, you know, criticism or judgment, it's really hard. And especially with sexual abuse, because a lot of times, if you do disclose to your parents, you know, what you're feeling, or you share about what happened to you, they close up, they clam up, they get angry, they get sad, they don't know how to respond. And then that could cause that person who is sexually abused to take responsibility again, or to look back at themselves and think they've done something wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, so what would you say for a person who is trying to trust themselves better still with their family dynamic because maybe their family hasn't taught them good trusting skills and sure. how? And they've taught them the opposite of how to trust people by being critical or 
judgmental closing off by isolating yeah. by all those things right that we do to try to so to speak keep ourselves safe the truth is we need other people we cannot just do we can't just do this alone you know we can't just um power through you know so to speak um and ultimately spiritually we need our connection with god we need our connection with the lord because he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. So he's walking through this process with us. Um, but I cannot emphasize, I think, enough about um, the honoring where you're at, what you're feeling. Am I comfortable? Like, what am I feeling right now when I'm around this person? Do I feel comfortable? Am I closing up? Am I withdrawing? There's probably a reason for that. So that my encouragement would be is to explore that, but you're going to probably need someone to explore that with, you know, to understand that better. But I think where we go wrong in this is because when we've experienced abuse, you didn't have a voice, you didn't have a say in what happens, what happened to you. And so that voice is lost and you learn have learned to likely shut things down, shut parts of yourself off. But in order to heal, in order to listen and trust, trust yourself, you have to actually listen to yourself. You have to honor where you're at. You have to honor when you're feeling uncomfortable or not ready to do something again. So you can talk about it with someone who is trusted. They can help you understand where that's coming from. Cause when, if you tell me, for example, Nicole, if like you were to say to me that, um, Hey, when I have go to dinner or coffee or whatever with such and such friend, I always feel this like some like discomfort. Like I feel sick to my stomach or something, you know, like if I, we were to kind of talk through that, I, I probably one of the first questions I would ask is um, like, does that person remind you of anyone? Right. Like we want to explore like what's going on about that person or the place where you guys meet. It may not even be about them. Right. But where do you guys meet? What do you usually talk about? What's the dynamic of your relationship like? Like, you know, again, this is if I were your therapist, it's not like necessarily a friend doing this. But um, so to kind of talking through. So in other words, what we're doing is we're honoring what you're feeling. We're not just skipping over it. We're not telling you to suck it up. We're not telling you to get past it, get over it, pretend it's not there. None of that will help you trust yourself, but instead actually listening to yourself. And sometimes our feelings and our sensations on things um, like feeling sick to our stomach or something is a little bit off or it's skewed or it's actually about something else. So we're going to need to explore it more. But one of the things like, for example, in therapy that we work on a lot is having people be compassionate toward themselves and toward their experience. And that's hard because again, one of the survival things after going through abuse is that you're going to be probably pretty harsh on yourself. That was one of the ways that you picked up and survived the situation. And so learning to be compassionate and patient with yourself is a challenging thing to do, but it's so important because you cannot grow or heal or change unless you're actually patient and compassionate with yourself. Mm. That harsh envi internal environment, internal talking to yourself, what's your problem? What's my problem? Why can't I get it together? Why am I always like this? That is not going to produce growth. Right. And I mean, if it comes into your mind, even for a second, you can change that language quick by saying, okay, you're doing it again. You're doing the negative thing, but like, you know, start saying positive things and replacing that negative. Cause that's, sure. 
it takes practice, right? Like I know. Oh, but also once you understand it, I think the yeah. key that I'm talking about, the first step before even understanding it is recognizing it, recognizing that you're having a reaction or a thought to something and being willing to explore what that's about. That's, that's what I'm saying before even relabeling it and all those things. What is this about for me? Because that's what didn't happen when the abuse happened. There was no one attending to the wound and you were wounded. You know, I tell people they'll come in and like, you, you know, you have wounds that need to be attended to. And when we have physical wounds, we attend to them. You know, if you have a gaping, like a gash on your arm, right? We're going to attend to that because what's going to happen if we don't? going to get infected. It's going to get worse. It's not going to heal right. If there's a break, we're going to attend to it. We're going to properly, you know, um, thank God I haven't had a broken anything, so I don't know. Okay. So, but I think that they're sometimes going to set it right, right? They sometimes have to reset it or they're going to put a cast around it or whatever needs to happen. The point is it's going to be addressed. But when we have emotional wounds or abuse that is not seen, that is not visible. Many times it was never addressed. It was never attended to. So in the healing process and learning to trust yourself, the fact that you have value and worth and what you feel and what your experience is, everything has to be slowed down and actually acknowledged before you can get to the point of relabeling and trying to like, you know, I can think more positively and I don't have to think negatively. That's all, those are helpful things. But the first step is this is happening for me inside of me. I'm feeling this inside of me. I'm thinking this. And then we try to help people approach it with, again, that curiosity, patience, compassion, non-judgmental way. Got you. That makes a lot of sense. And I really like that. I think that's good, um, you know, good feedback for somebody, especially myself who wants to avoid the, the, you know, like, the coffee thing that you mentioned, I have a friend like that. Every time I'm around them, I just want to like, I'm like this person and I don't, and I, I just try to like focus on them on what their issues are. And I'm like, I wish they wouldn't be this way. Meanwhile, inside of me, when you started saying that I was like, but then like, what do they bring out in you? And it's like, it's, it's a discomfort of being around people who are in pain. I don't like it. I want, I want to fix it. It's like my first response. And because I can't fix this person. Ooh, this is a revelation right here because I can't fix this person. I, I just start criticizing, mm. you know, interesting. But in actuality, you're recognizing the pain that they have. Yeah. And you're yeah. right over the compassion part, right? And you're yeah. <laughs> That's it. Screw this. I'm going to judge it. Cause we, I don't think we want to feel that vulnerability. The fact that there's a lot of things in life we can't fix. There are people, we can't fix people. There are things we can't fix, things that happen to all of us, right? That we can't just erase. And like that tension of like living in life and not being able to have a full handle on everything or have a full like agenda, step one, two, three, four, five, this is how I'm going to fix it. Like, it's just not that simple. Um, Kristen, so honest. help us. We need help. I, I need, a, I need like, how do we get to that? Like, that's like an enlightenment. That's like, that's like the epitome of where I want to be. That's like heaven on earth right there to just be like, you know, to be able to live in the mess and be like comfortable in it. How do we do that? Um, I don't know that there's a magic formula for that as much as I think, I think it has to, for me, it, I think it has to do with worldview. 
we are not the Lord. I'm so grateful for the word of God because it tells us, it explains to us what's true. And if we look at the fact that we're in a world that has fallen, it is, in other words, there is sin, there is imperfection in this world, and we're not going to have perfection until we get to heaven. And so if that's the understanding, if that's the worldview in which I see the world from, um, or we can see the world from, then it changes our expectations. Now, this doesn't mean there's not room for healing and room for growth or any things we're talking about, right? Um, God absolutely um, can do anything. Anything is possible with the Lord. Some of you guys have experienced that, you know, where you were one person 10 years ago or whatever, and you are an entirely different person now, you know, whether that's a healing process or things that have changed in your life or whatever that is, or, or things that God has freed you from addictions, all kinds of things. Right. So um, anything is possible. However, we don't live in a perfect world. We don't. And that's, I think we can all acknowledge. Yep. That seems pretty true. So um, being okay with that, I think has to do with the fact that there's hope that this is not home. This is not forever. And the evidences of God's grace, despite all of that, I think are the, such a beautiful thing to me, you know, the, the, the bittersweetness of life too, right. At times where so many times we're holding to, um, experiencing things, um, that are like, do you guys, are, let me back up. When you when we experience those moments of such beauty in life, there's always a twinge of like sadness or or disappointment a little bit because we know it's not going to last forever because we are in a world that is falling away. We are decaying. We we will age. Right. You know what I mean. All those things. However, again, the balance of that is to still have hope, to still go after healing, to still pray for like things to get better because they can. We don't have to give up and live in dysfunction or dysfunctional patterns. I'm not saying any of that. I'm helping, Lord willing, helping people every day get better, get out of dysfunctional patterns, heal from past hurts and abuses, Um, but it will never be perfect. Right. That's very good. It's a great reminder. It gives us hope and it helps us to not, it helps us to not look horizontally, but to look vertically for our hope. Um, All right. Well, now we're going to move on to anger. (laughs) So right after that, we're now going to go talk about some anger. So the experience of sexual abuse or sexual assault, especially as a child, teen or young adult can have a traumatic effect throughout your entire life. It's normal to experience anger in response to a traumatic event like sexual abuse. We often fear or try to avoid it because it's perceived as a destructive effect. Sometimes we hear statements like hurt people hurt people. And what it communicates to us is that if we hurt, we will be angry and hurt others. If we grew up in a home where our parents were expressing anger through violence or abuse, you may perceive anger as an unacceptable emotion. The one takeaway we want you to have from this episode is not all anger is bad or harmful. You have the opportunity to be anger angry and not go too far with it. Or in Christian terms, we say to be angry and yet not sin. So Kristen, can you tell us how is anger helpful in the healing process and how is it not? I think, um, yeah, anger is a tricky one. Just like what you, all those things you described, right? Like, um, I think sometimes we either um, are um, swimming in it 
or we're completely denying that it's there. So we tend to go to extremes with it. And it does depend a lot of times too on our experience of anger, what we saw when we were kids, conflict and all those things. So anger, I think is a really though um, natural human emotion and a natural reaction to injustice and unfairness to actually acknowledge what you went through in your abuse and that it was wrong and that it was a violation of your personhood, everything about you, like that was a violation of that. Oh my goodness. I cannot tell you how important it is to have a period of anger. And that doesn't mean go try to find that anger within you. I don't mean that, but it's again, allowing yourself to feel whatever you feel. And that can be scary for some of us. The way in which you survived is to tuck everything away and deny every piece of it. And that's why, again, Nicole and I always talk about, please make sure that you have support, whether it's like the Trees of Hope support group, a therapist, a a close friend, or someone that you trust. Do not just power through this alone and try to make yourself feel something. Or I tell people to, I don't try to dig around and, and look for trouble where there isn't any. Like anger will display itself in different ways. And a lot of times, in fact, if it's not direct anger, meaning you're not feeling it like that tension within your body, right? The physical aspect of anger, because there's such a physical aspect. A lot of times the way in which anger um, is living inside of your body is depression. Anger turned inwards is depression. Because if you never address the anger at what happened to you or your experience, then and you hold it all in and you contain it all within yourself, why wouldn't you become depressed? Because that's incredibly disempowering to feel like, again, those same messages that were given to you in the abuse. I have no voice. I have no choice. I can't get out of this. I'm trapped. So if you take all of the natural anger reaction to that, when it's actually safe to feel it, right? When years later or whatever it is, um, and you pull it all within yourself, it's going to be disempowering. And you're, of course, going to feel depressed. Many people who are walking around depressed are actually angry and they just never have had a safe place to express that. So it is a part of the healing process because you're actually putting a line in the sand and saying, no, this was wrong. This was not my fault. This should not have happened. Now, what we are responsible for, and it's such an important part of the flip side of this, is we are not responsible for what happened to us, but we are responsible for our responses to it. As a child, right, as children, a lot of times we developed um, ways of coping, which worked at the time, but turn out to be years later, it turns into some dysfunction. And so we do need to address and deal with that. And that's where we can get things pretty twisted up. Um, And so it's important, I think, though, still to go back and acknowledge the anger, but not stay in that place. Anger does provide a level of energy and fuel to address the things that we need to address, but it cannot be the primary place that you're coming from for your healing. Because I know we've all at least met a person like that, or maybe that is you that we're describing that is just flooded with anger all the time. You don't know what to do with it. Like, so again, anger is an important part of the process, but it's not all of it. And it's not meant to be carried forever or denied either which way is not helpful. So the first part of it is just acknowledging like I'm angry. When I think of this, I am angry. And ideally with someone that you trust, someone that you feel safe with, 
Um, again, it's when you ask when it's not helpful, it's when it's turned inwards into depression. You deny that it's there. You're basically angry at yourself and you're taking it all out on yourself. You know, that's not helpful or holding on to it and just doing, stirring that pot, right? Again and again and again, and just thinking of all the things that make you angry. Like some people live off of that energy, you know, and it's just, it's not a good place to live from. You will burn yourself out. Let me tell you, if that's what everything in your life is about anger, like, or retaliation from what happened, you will fry yourself out. Hmm. Very good. That was great. Now let's take a look at disclosures and confrontations. So directly confronting the abuser abuser and or one's family is not for every survivor, but it can be a dramatic, helpful tool. If you have made the decision to confront, here are a few things we want you to remember. It's not just do it haphazardly or whenever. It is at the right time, in the right place, and with the right supervision and preparation, you can confront the person who abused you. You have the freedom to decide whether you want to do it as a personal confrontation or a simulated one. A simulated one is like reading a letter or confronting a chair or another person who is acting in the place of the abuser. Another suggestion is if you have a picture of the person who abused you, putting it into a chair on a table and reading or putting in a mirror and reading your letter and or confronting it in that way. The key to remember in this stage is the purpose of the confrontation is to release your feelings of hurt and anger. Did you want to add something here, Kristen? Um, yeah. And I, I think this is all like, really, it's, it's all helpful. And I do think it's again, just in remembering that to honor where you're at in your process, none of these things should be like rushed into because I'm supposed to do this. Like if you're not ready, you're not ready. And you need to make sure you have support, especially when, when doing this, um, when, if, if the potential of confrontation. Absolutely. So yeah, that just leads me to my next point, which is seek the help of a a professional to decide when you want to confront and whether actually if confrontation should even be done. You know, if it's, there's a lot of factors that come into an actual confrontation and we go over that thoroughly in our book. You know, we don't just say, Hey, go do this. We first have a chapter in there about forgiveness. We want you to think and consider forgiveness first before you confront, because we don't want you to just forgive them in the next step. Our goal is to help you not be so angry and to let it go, but to still still address everything thoroughly and completely and not just take it and put it under the rug. A lot of times Christians do this. We put this under this Christian rug and we say, well, God wants us to, to forgive that he does. But in the proper time and after steps have been taken place and after you feel and 100%, you know that's where you're at to not force it just because you think that's what you should do. I've had many people in my groups and in groups that you know I've also sat in that have said this, that they've called their perpetrator, that they've confronted them with this stuff and their response was denial, was reframing it on them. And that set them back. So that's I, a hard one. It is. A, it is a hard one. And I think here's here's what I would say about that too. That's why it's so important the timing of when you do this and all of what you just said, making sure you have support and everything. Because in my um, in my experience, I think you have to be at a place where um, you 
need to say what you need to say. If you're deciding to say something to that perpetrator, you know, about what happened, that you're in a place where you, you need to say it regardless of their response. You're not looking for a particular response from them. It's just for you stating what's true and, and will in your desire to move forward, you know, move forward and move forward, by the way, does not mean, um, you know, of course, the abuse situations, stories look all kinds of different ways. Okay. So move forward doesn't necessarily mean this person is going to be a part of your life going forward. Um, maybe for your situation, it is. Everyone's is different. And that's why, you know, we say even at the beginning, we, we know we can't speak to every situation. But um, yeah, it's really important that you're far enough along in the process before you were to do something like this, that you are stable enough to where regardless of their response, you're going to be okay. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to maybe cry or be upset or have to grieve the fact that that person um, dismissed you, denied it, tried to make you feel shameful, flipped it around to guilt you and so forth. But um, just that you have your support in place and you know, you know what, I'm going to be okay regardless of what their response is. I've gotten this far. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I just feel like adding to that is, um, the unit that we do this is unit 11. (laughs) There is 10 units in front of that. That is hard, hard work. And in unit 11, when we talk about confrontation, we go deep into exposing more of who the perpetrator is. We talk more about maybe what their backgrounds are like, what statistically a perpetrator is like or an abuser is like, and what some of them go through. We don't do it to excuse it away. We try to have you just help you understand maybe this person is not capable of receiving from you. They're not capable of apologizing. They're not capable of taking, you know, responsibility. We talk through, um, yeah, take, how do you not place the blame after on yourself after you've confronted? And one of the other things that we do is, um, we tell the person, the, the, the victim to write or to address each person individually. So if you were sexually abused by multiple people, it's multiple letters. You know, we, we do a lot in letters. That's really what our focus is is we don't really want you to confront unless you have a victim's advocate or a mental health counselor or a police officer. Um, So we talk a lot about letters and a lot of us still know our abuser or it's in our family. And I'll tell you pretty much almost 90% of the people who come to our groups, they've been sexually abused by an uncle, a cousin, a brother, someone in their family. So that's why this hits home really a lot because this is this is for somebody who probably is still around this person. So they have the ability yeah. to confront when healthy enough and those other things. But if they send a letter, um, this you know w- the goal is to you also want to send a letter to any co perpetrators that that allowed it to continue to happen. And we just the goal is for you. It's not for the confrontation with them and to stir up something. This confrontation is all about you. It's to help you stop rationalizing. It helps you so that you don't apologize for your for what happened to you, that you place responsibility on them. It helps show you how you don't have to make excuses for them. But by directly confronting the aggressor it and telling them how the effect, how the abuse has affected your life, it's important for them to know that. 
You have to confront with honest and open feelings. You know, we don't want you to go too, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to expose everything. You know, they don't deserve that. They just need to understand that this affected you and that this has, you know, disrupted and changed your life. They took a piece of you. Your innocence was lost because of their act. Um, and so, but the, again, you need to remember the choice is yours. You don't, just because we're talking about it doesn't mean you have to go do it. It's not like that. So should you be somebody that is considering a um, confrontation? I just want to give you just a couple of pointers as a checklist. Uh, we kind of briefly said them, but I want to give you more clear cut defined role, uh, you know, things to think about. And that is one, get a good counselor to assist you right? We have them here. Go to our website, treesofhope.org forward slash counseling. Establish, establish clear goals for the confrontation. What do you want to achieve? If it's to, you know, get retribution, to get justice, I think you need to write several letters until you get to a point where you recognize the clear goal is for you, for your own healing process. You know, anticipate the perpetrator's reaction. It could go either way. Again, they could deny, rationalize, reframe. They could do a lot of different things. When I confronted my boss who was sexually harassing me, they reframed it and made it sound like, well, you're the one who's being like, you know, flirty and coming at me. And I, I still hear his voice saying that to me. So I had to do, I, when I confronted him later on in life, I had to remember that no matter what he says, that wasn't the case. I knew who I was. I know what I was doing. I was aware, but he was still acting inappropriately. And it didn't change the way that I saw myself anymore. It did when I first did it, though. Um, then also, you want to anticipate your feelings in the heat of the confrontation. This is for somebody who potentially writes a letter and then the person wants to meet and talk about it. You may hear things that you don't like and you want to just make sure that you, you are ready and prepared should things not go the way you desire. You want to determine the possible steps you would take depending on the person's response and be prepared to process the pain produced by this confrontation. You know, like we said, have a counselor. This is, if you have not gotten one yet, this is a perfect time to have something like this in your life to work through all of this. And maybe a counselor would even tell you, you're not ready yet for that. Yeah. You're not ready at all. I have before, by the way, I have told people before, um, because I just knowing of, um, you know, the situations and so forth. Um, it's just really important that you know where you're at. And so I told people it's not, it's not time yet. Right. You no. Know, um, yeah. It doesn't mean it can never be time. Absolutely not. Yeah. Nope. And it's just not time yet. Yes. And that's why what we're saying is that this is not a step one, step two, step three, and you can't graduate from all the steps if you don't get to the step, right? Like this may be something way down the road. And again, a simulated one might be a perfect one for you to do just to get the idea of what could happen. Oh my I God, mean, that experience is so powerful. Yeah, so they're just, powerful. yeah, like those kind of, the empty chair is what they call it. That's a technique um, yeah. or an exercise in therapy, um, gestalt therapy. And it's very experiential. So what that means is it's, you do hands-on things like that, like role-playing and so forth. And so that it's called the empty chair. 
And that's where you talk to the chair as if that person were sitting there. And it can be a very therapeutic experience. And even the writing letters, we do something, exercises called um, therapeutic letters. And that's where you write it, but you don't actually send it to, because sometimes you can't send it. The person's no longer alive, or that's just, it's not even possible. Yeah. Um, so it still can be a really therapeutic experience to do well, that. Well, that's, that's exactly what I did. I wrote the letter. I never would see this guy. One is in jail. The other one is, I have no idea where he could be dead for all I know. So I wrote this letter and I read it out loud. That was the key. And that took me, I, again, again, I acted like I was so tough for all these years and said that this didn't affect me. And then when I did the letter, I was like, oh, I'm not going to cry. Everyone else is going to cry. So, you know, just be prepared to just breeze through this. And I was like, God, please help me with my emotions. I don't want to seem too tough. The minute I opened my mouth, I was like, dear. And I just started boohoo crying like a baby. Couldn't stop. Couldn't get through the letter. Oh, my gosh. I was so like. And I looked at my friends who happened. They they weren't my friends before the group. They became my friends through the group. But I looked up, they were boohoo and crying. And I was like, I'm so embarrassed. And they were like, dude, take your time. I ended up being the one getting like <laughs> counseled that day. But the, well, it's so beautiful though, because you let yourself go go there. These things are hard and tears are so natural. They're it felt so, so good. I, when it yes. was done, I was like, whoa. I am set free from this. Like, I didn't realize how bad it was taking me down. I didn't realize how captured I was by it. And I was set free the moment I was done with that letter. I was it was, like, I don't even see them in the same light anymore. That's actually, cute. I was walking down on the beach and I ended up seeing one of my bot, the boss that's actually harassed me, like my whole five years that I was there. Um, and he, I saw him. And typically, if I would have seen somebody like that, I and being the old me, I would have been like, you know, like kind of raging at them. And I just was like, hey, and I just kept walking. And he was like, wait, come here. And I was like, no, no, no. And I just kept walking. And I felt really strong doing that too. Like, no, I'm in control. I don't need to turn around for you. Awesome. Awesome. That's beautiful. Very um, well, The last thing I just want to mention about a confrontation is just remember a confrontation is successful because it communicates truth, whether or not, whether or not the person responds positively to that truth. The reality is the secret is revealed. You are no longer protecting a person who has hurt and confused you. You are no longer a victim under this person's power and control. That is success and victory. You may feel hurt and disappointed by their response, but don't let those feelings rob you of the reality that you have faced the biggest fear you will ever probably face in your life. You finally have begun to learn how to experience the serenity to accept the things you cannot change, the courage to change the things that you can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So true. So now I want to the last one, which is resolution and moving on. So this is the stage as, as you move through these stages again and again, you will reach a point of integration. Feelings and perspectives will stabilize. One will come to terms with the abuser and other family members or, you know, anybody who was a co-perpetrator. One won't erase history or make it, it'll, they will make some deep lasting changes in their life. 
they have gained awareness, compassion, and power through healing, and they'll have the opportunity to work towards a better world. So Kristen, how can a survivor move on and resolve not to let their abuse control them anymore? Just real quick. (laughs) I'm only laughing because I'm thinking about how like, these are such big things. I think that that description that you were sharing about the resolution and like moving on is beautiful. It doesn't always look that way for everyone. I've um, everyone's, I think a little different. There's for some people, that's absolutely the way that it looks. There is growth. They're a- they are able to move on. They have had healing um, deep changes and, you know, lasting changes have happened for some of you. It may be really just step-by-step. Step. You may be ready to do a couple of things this year and it's going to be five more years to do something else. And I'm not predicting that for anyone. It's just, this is what I've seen. And again, I think you have to honor where you're at, honor what you're ready for. And we, as other people, whether it's helpers like myself, like a therapist or a friend, you have to be okay. Understanding that everyone has their own journey and we're not responsible or in charge of anyone else's journey. We can encourage people along the way, but sometimes it just takes time to get there. So um, can someone get there? Absolutely. Can they get to a place where the abuse isn't controlling them or defining them anymore? Absolutely. For sure. I have seen that. I've worked with people that that's where they are at. It literally has, it is something that happened for them, but it just does not define them anymore. And now they are just in a place of, like you were talking about, of strength, of health and healthy boundaries and healthy relationships and so forth. Um, I think I think that process has to do with going through like the stages we've talked about, the healing, the healing process itself, um, being patient and compassionate with yourself, going through this, asking for help when you need it, and then being willing to ask for help in the future when you may need it again. You know, I don't mean you're going to go through the same thing again, but it's just sometimes we need more help, you know, and that's why I was saying too, sometimes you reach a certain part and then it's not going to be until a little bit later to where you reach another part of it, you know, and, but, I think that willingness to ask for help is so important too. Yeah. I, one of the things that I've resolved in this sort of stage is that I have, I'm usually somebody who doesn't, you know, look at life. I try to look at life positively as much as I can, but that can be a hindrance in relationships because you're constantly like, yeah, I'm great. I'm doing good. How are you? You know, and your friends are always like, oh, and you're like, well, no, like life is really good. I can't help it, but life is really good. But then there's times where it's not good. And I've learned to text a friend or, you know, even just you recently you asked and I was like, okay, you know, I usually am not like that. And so I have been challenging myself to, to let people into that and to allow them to speak into it and give, you know, some advice or to encourage or whatever, because yeah, you may, we say this all the time, like you're going to ebb and flow through these stages, different times in your life are going to bring on different stages. And like I said, obviously I always want to be in the resolution moving on stage, And I think for the most part, sometimes, you know, my first sexual abuse offender, of course, I feel like that's pretty much behind me now. Like I, but there's times where certain things come up in my life of past relationships or where somebody violated me, maybe not in a total sexual abuse, but they took something from me, like, you know, something to do with a friend or whatever, something that triggers that thing. It brings me all the way back to a feeling like that again. And 
um, you know, I have to be honest and open about my feelings and be honest and say like, okay, maybe I'm not fully there yet. Maybe I'm not, you know, a hundred percent there. Does it mean I have to- What's that like? (laughs) Yeah. What do you mean? What's that like to say exactly what you just said though? It's free. Maybe I'm not fully there. Okay. Maybe I do need to look at something here or whatever. What's that like? It's freeing. Yeah. It's, it gives me like, it's, I don't want to say humiliating. That's not the word I'm looking for. It's humbling. Humbling. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's, it helps me. I mean, obviously I'm a Christian. So I, when I have those days, I go, okay. And I don't mean it's not a, this is not a cliche type thing. Like, Lord, I need to lean into you with this. I'm struggling. I'm scared. I'm afraid of what's going to happen in the future. I don't know. Um, I'm feeling triggered by this, you know, God, please show me why, where is this coming from and being willing to allow him to say those things and show you, because I'll go on a 30 minute walk. I try to do one every day and things will come to me like, okay. When you prayed that yesterday. Okay. I see where that's coming from. Okay. When that friend, you know, hurt your feelings, you still have, um, unforgiveness in your heart, you know? things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, um, I think going back to that, being willing to listen to yourself and what's going on, it is also being willing to hear those hard truths. You know what I mean? Of like, Ooh, that's because I'm holding on to these things that I really need to forgive, you know, or whatever it is. So yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Okay. So we did it. We, we finished finally. I'm happy because we, you know, I, I really love these past three, these three episodes. They were so enlightening for me. Um, they helped me grow as a person and I hope they're helping you guys grow. Uh, somebody said something so beautiful to me the other day and it's, I've heard this before, but they were saying it's like, um, a jigsaw or not a jigsaw puzzle. Yeah. A puzzle that all the different pieces are thrown out and, you know, these episodes have been helping them sort of put the pieces together and make the picture. And Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, that's so good. That's so cool. Like, I love that. That's why we do these. And um, so share this with any of your friends, Uh, give us a review, let us know how you how we're doing. And and if these are helping you and feel free to email me anytime. My email is podcast at treesofhope.org. Again, that's podcast at treesofhope.org. So that's it. We will see you next time for episode 38. We love you guys and we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.